0: Welcome. You found the people Chattanooga podcast. I'm your host Luke Swab and today I have Stratton Tingle on the show. He's a local musician. New, and you know I can never say that word. It's not magician. That's the magic guy. It's mu- musician. <laughs> anyway sorry this this intro fits great with the uh, the intro uh, when we start talking Um it's a little awkward, uh, but we have a lot of fun on this podcast. Stratton's super cool guy. Um, I had a great time getting to know him. So without further ado, here is Stratton Tingle. All right, we're live. I have Stratton with me today. What's up? What's your last name? Tingle. Str- T- yeah. <laughs> this is a good intro. <laughs> I'm, still, um, I'm still in shock when I saw you pull up today. Um, You have pretty much the same car as me. Yeah. Which is what?
1: The, well, I have a 2002 uh, Volkswagen station wagon, the Jetta wagon. It's a diesel and a five-speed engine. It's the unicorn. Yeah, and there's another one in town as well that is a good friend of mine who's go- who normally goes by Socro. Most people mm-hmm. know him as Socro. Uh, Eric Lissica. He's a rapper. Yeah. Does
0: yeah. he have a million miles on his too?
1: He doesn't have quite as many. I don't think... I'm not exactly sure how many miles he has on his, but I think he, he bought his a little bit more recently. And uh, he actually went to uh, school in Michigan. Actually, oh, really? What well. school? Uh, Andrews University up yeah. in Barron oh, Springs. Yeah, yeah. I got yeah.
0: you. Yeah, that's another 7th day Adventist area, yeah. right?
1: Yeah. but And he's the one who got me into Volkswagens uh-huh. back in the day because my Mazda 626, uh, 94 Mazda 66 bit the dust on a trip that I was making from Chattanooga to Michigan. Uh, and, uh, it ended up in the junkyard cause, uh, I did not take care of it and got my first, it was a Jetta wagon. It was a, it was a gas engine at that time. It was a five speed though. Yeah. Um, and uh, then I was hooked on that exact model of car. So, I've had that for a long time.
0: So, you said uh, it ended up in the junkyard. Is it between Michigan and here? No,
1: what? it ended up in a junkyard in Berrien Springs or, or Niles or yeah. s- something like that. St. Joe, something like that.
0: Right. Um, okay. That was going to be too big of a coincidence because I also was on a trip, not quite to Michigan, but from Chattanooga to uh, Pennsylvania, and I was my car, the motor died in West Virginia. And, uh, we slept in the parking lot that day and then I sold it for 50 bucks to the junkyard guy the there next you day. Go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My goodness. Okay. So I have the same car, just an O three. 3 Yeah. A few more miles and a much more leaky fuel injection pump. Yeah. I m- believe. Mine's
1: in slightly better shape, but cosmetically maybe not so much. And I got the lift kit on it, which makes me a badass. I
0: think. I, the lift kit is so good. You have a three inch lift kit on this wagon. Did, did you used to have um, who rides who who rolls around in that Volvo? you um, know with the, with like the wing on the back?
1: I do not know I don't know I don't, I'm not totally sure what you're talking about. No. okay.
0: There's a there's another strange guy out there in Chattanooga. He's got this I think it's like a blue, wagon? Blue wagon Volvo with this homemade wooden two by four wing structure on oh it. Oh my
1: god, I've never seen that. But
0: but it's like it's it's not a wing as far as like for looks. I think it's to like put uh paddleboards on it or something. Oh, okay. He parks on Main Street all the time. Oh wow. man, yeah. No, I haven't seen that. Okay. Anyway. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, cars. Yeah. Um are you are you sick of the Volkswagen? I'm getting tired of Volkswagen. Are you still in love?
1: Well, you know, I haven't I've never transitioned to any newer than anything newer than a 2002. Mm-hmm. So um no, I'm still in love. But I don't know if I would if when a time when the time comes, I'm not hundred percent sure I'll go with a Volkswagen on a newer right. newer year. They're just so easy to work on, you know. My I still would do most of my work myself. And um, I don't know that that's true in uh, newer
0: models. Yeah, I don't know if it is either. And the vis- what, what bothers me in newer models is the visibility. It's really hard to see. Yeah. And the Volkswagen's like you're in a fishbowl. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. And at the time, I think they were like one of the safest cars made in 2002.
1: Yeah, it's a great car. I mean, I've never, knock on wood, you know, I haven't wrecked it or anything, but, uh, but man, I, I love it. It's, it's a great car. Yeah, and you use it on your road trips. I use it on my road trips. I sleep in the back. Mm-hmm. If it comes down to it, I've been on, I've gone on tour with it, doing music. Went down to uh, South by Southwest probably back in like 2013, and uh, it was definitely before I was able to um, budget for a hotel on trips like that. And uh, yes, yeah, slept in my car for the whole week, uh, and it was hot as it was disgusting. It was gross. I was pretty gross. <laughs> But you know, I had my music equipment on one side and sleep slept in the back of the car on the other side, yeah, um, and hauled my equipment i had like uh had some like i don't remember what it was, some sort of cart on wheels, something some kind of dolly that like I put my guitar amp on and walked like three miles to like you know one of my gigs that's um, crazy with guitar strapped on the back and amp on a dolly and pushing it down the road, but yeah, that's what you got to do
0: yeah you're- comm- you're committed, I like that a lot. Let's uh, let's rewind after this strange intro. <laughs> yeah, that we had. Um, let's start a little more close to the beginning. Um, so you like to do music? Did you? Um, let's talk about like where did you start? Go? Did you go to college?
1: Yeah, I did. I went to. That's how I got to Chattanooga. I went to college okay. at Southern Adventist University. Graduated in two thousand six, and. Um, uh yes, I have a degree in film production. Mm-hmm. But the whole reason the whole reason I went and did film production in college is because I wanted to learn how to make music videos for myself, which is something that I really got into back in like in high school, probably in like 1998. Ooh, there was like a video class that 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 we took that was like really a broadcast kind of thing, like yeah. a television kind of thing. Yeah, but um, like camera one, camera two. Yeah, and switching video switching all that live live events we did all the football games and stuff. You did which, that in high school, yeah. Which was oh. really cool. What
0: high school did you go to? That's a. It was a public high school
1: in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Okay, so Cape Central, uh, Go Tigers. Yeah. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't really like my high school experience that much. You
0: didn't seem very <laughs> enthusiastic with the Go Tigers. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was part of the camera crew at the football game. If that yeah. tells you anything. Um, but uh, yeah, so but I, I did music videos as my like fun projects, you yeah, because I had access to the cameras and stuff in the
0: school's uh, studio. or... Yeah. What what kind of computers were you using back then? Is this those those old iMacs?
1: Well, in high school we had Microsoft we were running Microsoft uh operating systems. Okay. Or Windows, I guess. Um it's been so long since I used yeah. uh <laughs> Windows operating system. Right. But um yeah, we were using like we had
0: Avid 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 Studios. We had
1: Avid Studios. Yep. That's what we had. Yep and um then in college you know we i that was my transition to apple products essentially Mm -hmm. which is all i use now um just because we were using it in college and we were doing final cut and um of course running pro tools and and all kinds of stuff but yeah got way more into audio production and film production in college just because i had access to better um you know equipment
0: Mm -hmm. what was your first video camera that you owned
1: Oh, a Canon XL one or something like yeah. this. I think it was called. Uh huh. Um, is that what it's
0: called? GL one, I think. GL one. It was yeah. like a long, It was kind of a weird, like long shaped, kind of yeah. weird thing, and like a like a creamish, creamish yellow color. I think there was red on it. I there f- was red, feel on, like maroon yeah. or something. I think this is what all the skateboarding guys used. And they put a baby death fish eye on it. Yep. Century yep. Optics.
1: Yeah. Um, mine was the big one that there was like a short one and mine was like a long one. I don't remember. There was, there was some sort of difference between the two, but I got it because I got it just before, um, I moved to, uh, Zambia, Africa for a year, did a year, uh, like my sophomore year of of college, I spent in Africa working with the world food program. Wow, (laughs) And so it's kind of an expensive camera. I I raised money and then like my grandfather gave me, I didn't raise enough. I think it was like a $3,000 camera and I raised maybe like two or something. There was no way I was gonna make the other thousand bucks up in the month I had left or whatever. So he spotted me a thousand bucks and I got the camera, took it with me. And I still have like... I, I never really did anything remarkable with a lot of that footage. Um, I should probably go revisit it because there's some good stuff on there. That's the mini DV tapes. Yeah, mini DV tapes. I still have them all.
0: Yeah, in the shoebox. Yep, that's awesome. Yep. Um, what was your experience like in Zambia?
1: Zambia was wild, man. It was. Uh, there were. It was 2002 and 2003 is when I was there, and um, they were going through a really pretty horrible famine at the time um that was caused by drought and among a lot of other things uh and so i was like in charge a friend of mine went with me and we were really working with um a local farm to distribute food to the kafui region of zambia so um we were uh anyway it was with the world food program so who we worked with and um uh, it, man, it was, it was wild. It was, it was a really amazing experience. It was really kind of my first time, uh, really out of the United States. Uh, I was 19 and, um, it opened my eyes, you know, co- pretty, pretty radically to, uh, and it gave me a lot of really good experience in world travel and in third world travel and, um, navigating border crossings in Africa and, uh, uh, built a really, really, uh, cool network of people who were sort of adventurous and also like humanitarian. Um, And man, it was, it was an experience I will hold with me dearly always, you know? Yeah. Started my, I have really long dreadlocks and that's where I began growing the locks with some of my folks uh, in Zambia. And it was really on a trip all the way up to South Sudan um, is uh, road trip was when we really put it, when we really like sort of locked it in.
0: Wow. Locked yeah, it in. I yeah, like that.
1: Yeah. So that's been like, what, 18 years now, I guess. Yeah.
0: 2002. Yeah. Wow. 18 year old dreads. Yeah, that's right. I got, I have to ask all the stereotypical questions. Yeah. Um, How do you, how do you clean them? Do you uh, do I don't clean them that often.
1: Yeah. Uh, but when they do need cleaning, I wash it just like anybody else washes their hair huh. pretty much. Um, Usually like vinegar helps with the like scalp side of things and like, get rid of any kind of nastiness that might be growing from sweat like and you know because these these locks are like kind of like a almost like having a towel on your head all at all times yeah and i sweat a lot in and more more than most people would regardless of the fact that i have like 30 pounds of hair on my head yeah um so that requires some some maintenance but the thing the cleaning them is not the tough part the tough part is drying them okay after washing them specifically so like when if they're drying if if i've gone to the beach or if i'm going swimming in a creek or whatever um then you know i usually like make sure that i'm out of the water and the sun's still high enough that like it dries them out really well uh and i won't get back in the water just before going to bed usually because you can imagine going to sleep with a wet towel on your head ends up smelling really bad yeah um especially we do that for a few days in a row so i gotta be kind of careful with that uh, around at the beach and stuff you know mm-hmm. um but if i'm just washing it in a shower then it takes it
0: takes quite a long time to blow dry i have to blow dry it i bet yeah um how much do you think they weigh
1: uh, i said 30 pounds that was a that was an yeah. exaggeration they really not as much as you might think i'd okay. say probably like maybe maybe a pound or two yeah um wet they weigh more but like sure. right now Probably less than a pound. Right. It's, it's not very heavy. Yeah. It's
0: a lot of hair, though. It is a lot of hair. Yeah. Um, what did you, what was your haircut before this?
1: Uh, I shaved it completely. So I was, I was hardcore into um, swimming in high school and, and before. I was a year round swimmer. That's the only sport I did. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of extreme about it. Do um, you
0: shave your legs and your armpits and all? Oh that yeah, shit. I was yeah.
1: I was all state all four years oh. of high school. Um, it was intense. It was a lot, of sw- a lot of swimming. Yeah. Way too much. Uh, two days like most of the year and ridiculous. And uh, so, um, you know, I had I shaved my head every year. So like, I would usually just get a haircut just once a year for, for the state meet. Um, so like let it grow long and crazy and I was in a band and stuff, you know, and then, then I would shave it. So really the, the last haircut before this was, uh, was when I decided that I was finally done with swimming. I was out of high school and shaved my head from nothing and had actually planned to put it into dreadlocks. Um, because I was inspired by some guy that was in a band called Blue Boy in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Shout out to Blue Boy. Yeah. Saw him at the, uh, drivers getting his driver's license when I was getting my learner's permit. And I was like, Whoa, that is awesome. I want my hair to look like that. Did so. you, did you talk to him? No, no. Not. He was like scary to me. Yeah. I was like, I want to look scary. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. No, you're the scary guy. Exactly. Um, so there's a couple of you guys that did the dreadlocks when you were in Zambia, right? uh, It was just me, my year. Okay.
1: Yeah. I think there may have been some that followed me. Okay. I definitely paved the way because I was... Do you know any of the folks over from Zambia? No. Yeah. Well, so yeah, it was... Okay. Okay there was some, it was part of a program, the student missionary program at Southern Adventist university. And we were there, um, at this farm owned by, uh, it was called Riverside farms and it's part of an organization called OCI outdoor, uh, I forgot what it's called outpost centers international or something like that. And, um, there were some folks who after me went to the farm, some people also from some young folks also from Southern, and I think maybe one or two of them also did dreadlocks after me. Um, but i'm certainly the only one that still has um yeah and it was not enc- it was not encouraged by the people
0: that were running the place um <laughs> they were missionaries i i grew up in a, a religious background and um and just northern michigan guys don't have long hair let alone like Long hair was bad enough, let alone dreadlocks. Right. So I totally, I know what you're going through.
1: Yeah, it was not. It was was definitely a rebellious... I wasn't supposed to do it. I wasn't allowed to do it. Well, yeah, I know that. And I was like, I'm volunteering my time. I came to Zambia. Like, I'm busting my ass. Yeah. And I don't care what you tell me I can do or can't do with my hair. Yeah. Like, and honestly, it was a great decision because it really broke down a lot of barriers with a lot of the folks I was working with. Yeah. Cause like they were helping me with the hairstyle and were interested in like, you know, they were wondering if I was Rasta, you know, right. religiously and, um, all sorts of, all sorts of great conversations came out of it, you know? Yeah. So that would not have come
0: otherwise. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, were your parents upset at first? With uh, it?
1: They definitely weren't like too into it. They I think, st- yeah, I think
0: mostly they were basically,
1: um, happy that i was back in the united states
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's a good start yeah get the get this boy back in america
1: yeah they weren't too and they weren't too thrilled that i chose to go to like a third world country at 19 that in their mind you know um africa is kind of one big you know one place like very little delineation between you know or discrimination between one country from another and this and the safety level, you know, or danger level from, uh, one, you know, regime or government or whatever to another when it's very, you know, it's just like anywhere else, very different from, from one place to another. Um, I was in a pretty safe place, yeah, but in their minds, they didn't believe that.
0: Sure. Yeah. That's understandable. Yeah. Did you, um, did you have any dangerous experiences there?
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, (laughs) yeah, that I did. Uh, which, oh man, where to start? I almost stepped on a leopard one day. Um, that was wild. Uh,
0: how, how does that happen? You're in a, you're in a, how do you step down on a leopard? You in a tree jumping off? Or? No.
1: So it was, I was, the farm we were living on was near a river, like it was on a river bank yeah. and it was a banana farm. And I, we had like a satellite phone, um, that we could use to call the states. And we we could use it like once a week. And so I, I went out to the river uh, and there was a mountain sort of on the other side of us sort or of really an escarpment, like a kind of like a ridge. Sure. Um, and so you had to get away from the ridge in order to like use the satellite phone. So I was I went the best way to do that was to go down to the river and walk along the riverbank um, away from the ridge as, as far as possible to where it was like most flat around and uh, use the satellite phone there. And I did that. I was doing that one morning to call my my parents. And um, uh, yeah, man, I, the, the, there were like high reeds. And the really dangerous, you know, there's crocodiles, there's hippo, there are crocodiles and hippos in the water. Um, and most, a lot of people don't know that hippos are the really, really dangerous thing. Hippos will kill you. Um, and, and they kill, I don't know the statistics off the top of my head, but hippos are extremely dangerous and they kill a lot of people every year. Um, if you're uh, one of the most dangerous places to be, uh, on the continent of Africa is between a hippo and water, um, because you're basically 100% going to die. Um, they
0: why is that? Because they want to get in the water?
1: Yeah, they're scared. They see you as a threat and they are very, very fast. You can't outrun a hippo. Um, at least not sprinting. And um, they are very good at killing you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so, I was watching out for hippos. <laughs> and I was also kind of like watching for crocodiles, uh, which are less like immediately dangerous. Usually, they're not going to just
0: like... If you're just walking around, they're not necessarily usually you'll see it before it, it yeah. like it gets you. And that's more by the riverbank. You're nervous, you yeah. Know, maybe within ten feet of a riverbank, be careful.
1: Yeah, pretty much. And there's high reeds, like waist high reeds, you know. So you can't see everything. So I'm kind of like watching the reeds to make sure, like scanning, scanning everything just to make sure there's no hippos, no crocodiles, and like probably about from here to probably 15 feet in front of me. Suddenly, I see the reeds like shake violently, and um. I, like, you know, I just completely froze in in panic, like, knowing that I was about to die from, like, a crocodile probably coming to, like, eat me. And uh, what happened instead, you know, time, like, stretches. Time acts really weird in, like, situations like this. So, I don't... I assume this all happened at once, but it feels like it happened over a long period of time. Um, Bounding suddenly away from me through the reeds, jumping through the reeds, was a leopard. Directly just leaving, going away from me, mm-hmm. and literally like somewhere between ten and fifteen feet in front of me. Wow, that was crazy. It wasn't as big as I was. It wasn't that, and it was, and it was bounding through the reeds, like jumping up and then
0: landing and then jumping up and landing. It's a good thing you had the dreads. You were nice and scary. For I it. guess so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was one dangerous thing. <laughs> wow. Um, so it was danger with animals, any like people, human interactions that were?
1: Yeah, I had one basically on new years uh between 2002 2003 so like new years eve january th- or december 31st 2002 we w- i was in the masai mara and um that that's that is like a a large sort of reserve like kind of like a wildlife refuge where and also like where where um indigenous people the maasai tribe like lives and and herds and and lives off the land and and lives as they did as they have for you know millennia basically um and we were out there like i was helping we were out there just basically for christmas kind of holiday like in in kenya and um it was New Year's Eve and I was like, you know, there were there were about four of us that were over there from the States. There were a couple of us that live in Africa and we had all kind of like, you know, you basically go to bed at dark, you know, you kind of go to bed when it gets dark and you wake up when it gets light because there's, there's no electricity. You're camping basically. There's nothing to do. So, uh, but it was New Year's and I was like, man, we got to go we got to find the party, you know, like it's new here. what are we doing? We're just going to go to bed at like 9 30 PM. Like, no, that's stupid. So we could hear some people like singing from a little ways away. So me and my buddy, um, I need to re, I need to revisit this story. It's been a long time since I told it. There's a, there's a really good way to tell it, but I'll just kind of keep it short. Uh, ultimately my buddy and I went out to go find the people singing and it was pitch black, no moon. And, uh, or no moon from what I can remember. Maybe there was a moon. I don't. I don't think so. It was really dark, and uh, we get kind of close to where we thought the singing was, and the singing had stopped. And we're kind of like just being really quiet to see, if, like, if we can hear where people are. We were just trying to find the party, you know, um, <laughs> and n- having no idea what a Maasai like a New Year's party might be, or if they even you know know that it's i assume they know it's new year's i don't know if they keep the same calendar honestly yeah, who knows? um so uh we hear some cows like kind of around like because they were cowbells you know you can hear the kind of like the cattle ding ding, ding, ding yeah. like walking around and i'm like man there's some cows around here and it was but it was totally silent with humans and then like we hear start hearing some like bird whistles but it's like it's like getting close to midnight or it's like 11 p.m., you know, and there's no birds whistling at 11 p.m. And so realize pretty quickly that it's humans like communicating with one another via like trying to mask their whistles. And it sounds like the whistles are like coming toward us a little bit, like um, from the, and it sounds like a couple of whistles are coming toward us from the front and a couple of whistles are coming from the right and sort yeah. of approaching us. And then like we hear like another whistle, coming from the left and these are kind of like sort of getting closer and closer and we're getting more and more sort of freaked out and I told, and like uh, it seems like people at this point it's like seems like people are coming toward us from like all sides and um, it didn't it seemed freaky it was a freaky feeling and so um, I told my buddy I was like don't turn we they call flashlights torches over there I was like mm. leave your torch off and on the count of three, like we're going to run like back from back the way we came from, like run are to run as fast as we can. So I was like, one, two, three. And we run like kind uh, we don't, I don't think we tried to be quiet really. I didn't scream like one, two, three. Well, I, yeah. I tried to do that like quietly, but like we both take off at the same time. Um, that was kind of the point of that. And we ran like all the way back to camp and there was, um, the run was really treacherous because they have these trees that um, have needles that are like mm, f- spikes. spikes that are like three inches long like uh that really tear you up, and by the time I was wearing these car which are really, really rugged pants, but um by the time we were back to camp, like those they were totally ripped up from all these they were like shredded from these needles and uh thorns. And uh, anyway, we made it back to camp and like went to sleep and, you know, we're like, that was wild. I don't know what that was about. Next day I woke up and like it was new year's day and we were having a little bit of a feast. There was ghost goat brains being roasted. Um, And I was telling the guy Samuel from Nairobi who was cooking the goat brains. um, It's like, here's what happened last night. He was like, and his eyes just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And he was not a Maasai guy. He was a, a Kenyan from the city. And, he was like, <laughs> he was like, my friend, he was like, you would have been, you would have been killed last night. They thought you were stealing their cattle. And, and um, they, what they do is they, they approach from all sides. They approach like an animal or an enemy from all sides. And then they like use their spears to like stab it to death. I was like, you know, I don't know if that's him just trying to like scare me back into like sticking around camp and not venturing out onto my own or if that was like mm-hmm. really what happened. But, um, so that was kind of a wild, that was a wild night.
0: That is wild.
1: Yeah. I didn't do you find really the party. Th- do you
0: think, yeah. Do you really think, I mean, that was potentially uh,
1: For sure. I 100% believe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I believe that. I mean, there were definitely, cal- yeah, it
0: seems like that's what happened. Man. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Um, maybe your parents were right. Maybe it didn't.
1: (laughs) I assume that if we had turned our lights on, like if they see white folks out there, they're not going to like, they're not going to murder you that like, um, you know, I was just in my, I was all hyped up in my head. Like I assumed if we turned our flashlights on and especially like, like shown that we were like Americans, they'd be like, Oh, what's up? You know, like, Oh yeah. Come have some, like they, they have this really good milk and tea, Mm -hmm. like tea with milk in it. And, uh, that would
0: have, they would have probably just taken us, and we probably would have had a really good time, so I don't know. yeah, that's a crazy story, yeah how was uh speaking of the milk and tea like how was how was the food in Africa?
1: Depends on where you're at, but um lots of fresh lots of very fresh food, like vegetable, you know, everybody's got to kind of grow food um, so plenty of plenty of fresh vegetables all the time, um, you know, but yeah it it's very different from from country to country. Um, and then it depends on how many like sort of South Africans, like white South Africans you're around. Um, because there, there's, when there's a lot of white South Africans around, there's a lot of dairy and a lot of meat, um, ice cream, cheese, yogurt, milk, like very important mm-hmm. to, uh, to white South Africans in, in Africa from my experience. Yeah. Cause um, there,
0: co- that was areas was colonized by Europe, I believe. By- yeah.
1: They're kind of a, du- there's, there, there's kind of a Dutch a major Dutch influence, mm-hmm. um, as well as, as well as British, British There's like yeah. kind of like, uh, Afrikaners and and Brit- British, but so it just really depends on where
0: you're at. Like you might have fish,
1: you might, you know, it's a huge continent. So
0: Did the food's you, very different. What about, uh, Kenya, um, Ugali? Did you have Ugali? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's,
1: there's like the staple food. Right. Yeah. And that was true in pretty much all of East Africa and Zambia where I lived, they call it Nshima which is uh, kind of like if you're from the South, you know what grits are. They're kind of like grits made of corn that um, are a little bit more on the congealed side than on the – it doesn't sound very appetizing, but they're kind of like thick, and you you use your hand to – to scoop it and you use that as kind of like almost like bread. Like if you're going to, if you're going to take a tortilla for instance, and you're going to pick up some like taco and you know, insides. Yeah. It's like a
0: utensil almost at the same time.
1: Yeah. It's basically the thing between your hands and the food that gets the, that gets the meat or vegetables to your mouth. Yeah. So that's pretty much every day is nshima, which is cornmeal. And then um, some sort of other fix it like cooked vegetables and, and or meat. Did you get to
0: uh, go to Ethiopia to have...
1: I did not go to Ethiopia, but I did get to Tanzania and I didn't get to Dar es Salaam, which is where a lot of spices are, mm-hmm. but I was right off the coast of Dar es Salaam or right across the ocean from Dar es Salaam. And so there were, there were some really good spicy food there,
0: really, really nice spices. Did you, did you see any of the animals you think of, like uh, elephants or yeah. giraffes?
1: Oh, yeah. All of them. Yep. Wow. Lions. Le- I got photos of all of them. Giraffes. Elephants. Were you zebra. in
0: Nagora? Nagora Crater? Um, I don't believe... You know what? I'm not 100% sure. It's, well, I know there's Masai in that area. Yeah. Um. I can't... Re- I, think- I don't think we were there. Okay.
1: But I'd have to actually go back and look, because
0: we were only there for two or three weeks,
1: and we were doing a lot of work every day. Yeah. Um we were working on a building project of
0: like a school i believe at that time so that was that was one year of your life or one um school year mm-hmm. have you been back to africa since then
2: yeah i
1: have yep um a couple times i believe but yeah, uh, so yeah i did vi- i did film production video production right out of uh right out of uh college for the next number of years and <clears throat> i was sort of known as someone who could do third world travel mm. and navigate all that, which was helpful as far as my resume goes. So I found myself on quite a few projects that took me, um, back to Africa. Yeah. A couple of times. Um, definitely went back to Zambia at least once <clears throat> and also was fortunate enough to go on a trip to, um, a, it was a, it was a work gig, but on a trip to, uh, Egypt, um, and also, uh, like Israel and Jordan.
0: Wow. <clears throat> yeah. What's What's Egypt like?
1: Egypt was Egypt was really cool. Um, I was working, so it wasn't. It, it wasn't totally. Egypt's wild, man. I don't know. It was. Um, it was kind of hectic to get our camera gear like around the pyramids. Like we went to to the pyramids. Um, a lot of, a lot of kind of bribing, just like anywhere that you kind of have to do, and and dealing with the folks who can take care of you, and and the folks who can actually help you, and then dealing with the folks who can't, and figuring out how that all that works. Um, also, you, the markets would, were crazy.
0: Would you have like a, I don't know, a guide or something to take you through all this? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um, usually, well, in, in in Egypt at the time, I don't remember what year this was. Now, probably two thousand. Eight, I guess, or maybe nine. Uh, it was required to have an armed mm. guard. You were required to have, by, by I think, I don't know, I assume the Egyptian government, but if you're like part of a crew from from the Western world, you had to hire an armed guard to be with you at all times. Yeah. So that person was more or less helpful to just, just depending on their personality. They weren't there to be helpful to you. They were there to specifically just to protect you basically from bandits and whatnot. So they weren't expected to be helpful in, in ways like getting camera gear around the pyramids and stuff. And so the guy that we had was in some cases and not in others. Um, but yeah, it was wild, man. Like the, the markets were crazy. I remember one person that was with our our group um, ha- did have his um, passport and money stolen at one of the bazaars that we were at. Um, just like a pickpocket. Just of, a pickpocket, yeah. you know. And you, you got to be extra careful. I had mine stolen in Germany in Berlin. Uh, so like, yeah. I didn't think, I, you know, my guard was down around Berlin. Like it's such a nice city. And, uh, I had my passports, uh, hidden, you know? So I thought sort of in, in, in a, I um, I always carry a bandana with me, yeah, like a handkerchief in my back left pocket. Yeah. I don't use it to blow my nose, but like it just comes in handy a lot. And I had it hidden in, in, inside the handkerchief. And, uh, yeah, I got, my handkerchief was still in my pocket. They didn't get the handkerchief. They got the passport, though. But I didn't have all my money and stuff with it, you know. Anyway, that was that turned out to be a really interesting event because I ended up meeting um, uh, a really influential person who, uh, at the U.S. Embassy when I went to go get my passport redone in Germany, um, who ma- I maintain good relationship with to this day. Who uh, he was Prince's. He owns. Um, he owns all of Prince's. Um, uh, like publishing rights in all of Europe. Wow. Yeah, he's kind of a That's, a, wild. Yeah, that's so, cool.
0: Yeah. Did that help your music career?
1: It has some. I mean, I, I mostly just keep in touch with him, and he's not really even that much into music anymore um, because it, it doesn't pay like it used to, and he's moved on to other things, and he's he's much older. Um, he was also Bob Marley's tour manager uh, he set up all Bob Marley's tours in Europe as well. Wow. Or a bunch of them. I don't know about all, um, it was a really weird serendipitous meet. Like we just happened to both be at the U S embassy getting new pats passports because he had lost his passport in Italy or left his passport in Italy. Inadvertently, he was, he was a German, he, was, he had dual citizenship mm. in Germany and U S but, um, he, uh, he had, he was on a, uh, a, he was at a recording session with Rick Rubin, the, um, Producer, like if you know, if you're in the music industry, you probably know who Rick Rubin is. And, um, he was in, he had just come back from Italy from a session
0: with producer Rick Rubin, um,
1: which was a whole thing. It was wild. It was an
0: interesting experience meeting this guy. So are you, um, was it worth losing the passport to meet this guy?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, ultimately, it cost me a day. It cost me some stress and stress also, stress like, for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That moment you feel back there and it's not in your pocket.
1: Yeah. And it cost me a day. Um, of my you know, sort of my tr- fun. Tr- it was a fun trip. It wasn't a work trip to Germany, you know? Yeah. But also like, I think I still have his card on me. Yeah, I do. Oh, cool. this is, this is him.
0: Yeah. You've been carrying it this whole time.
1: It just like st- yeah. Cause there's a couple of people whose cars are, who's <laughs> like important people whose cards I got. Then I'm like, hell yeah. Yeah.
0: Hang on to that. <laughs> yeah. That's super cool. Yeah. Wow. What's it like in, um, Jordan and, and Israel filming it, it's filming. Israel was
1: awesome. Uh, we, um, Jordan, I was only, I was only in Jordan for like a brief, uh, couple of, couple of hours. Like, so it wasn't, I didn't get that much experience. But Israel was, um, amazing. Yeah. We were in Jerusalem a lot of the time. We traveled around a bit, went to like Eilat, I believe. Oh, man, I'm going to forget all the names of the places, but, um, yeah Jerusalem was cool we were there over Purim which is a festival it's I don't actually know exactly what Purim is but some kind of festival feast kind of thing but uh everybody dresses it's kind of like Halloween in a way everybody dresses up you Mm -hmm. know and costumes and stuff um and it was kind of wild because we went down to like the party and um at night and like uh, it was in, I believe we were in Jer- Jerusalem and the yeah, Israeli army just completely like surrounding, like maybe like a 10 block area of town, like shoulder to shoulder, you know, full, fully armed. Um, so it definitely had a, you felt the tension, you know, while you were there between, um, Israel and, and, uh, its neighbors. Yeah, for sure. It was wild.
0: So after you, after you did the Africa thing and then, um, You graduated with a degree from Southern Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in in, uh, BCA or Broadcasting, Cinematic... No, Film Production. Film Production, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then um, you started doing these gigs. Would you do stuff in America too? Yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah.
1: Weddings, everything, like
0: corporate commercials, weddings, all sorts of stuff. Whatever it takes. Yeah. And then then, um, did you start making your own music videos that you wanted to?
1: Oh, yeah, I had been doing that throughout college and everything, yeah. So music was still like my first love. Yeah, And that's why I I ended up quitting, not not accepting any more film gigs because it was always taking me on the road and consuming all my time and I wasn't able to work on my music with my band. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was more important than than the job of making videos. So I stopped making videos and eventually... um, yeah, we got we did a bunch of odd jobs. My whole band did. We installed artificial football fields up in the up up in the uh, artificial turf football fields up in the northeast. Made a bunch of money one summer and used that money to live on for the next like six to eight months and make our make an album and release it and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, there was a ton of uh, odd jobs, even while filmmaking and after filmmaking, that were solely focused on supporting the music habit. What was the band name? Um, the band name changed a couple times, but it, the one that you can still find everywhere that on streaming services is
0: Prophets and Kings. Okay, yeah, awesome. Mm-hmm. Are, are you guys still doing it?
1: No, we're not. No, what? we we ended up uh, the disbanding in like uh, probably 2013. I want to say mm-hmm. probably around then, maybe 2012, 2012, 2013. Yeah, something like that. Our album our album came out in 2011. Um, to some international acclaim and national acclaim, uh, to, it, it was self-released. Um, kind of wild. We're really proud of it. Still, still really proud of it. Um, and there's a couple things. As we were, you know, we were determined to make it on our own. Um, sort of based here in Chattanooga. And made quite a few mistakes through yeah. that process. Like
0: instead of going to LA or some, or yeah,
1: instead of going to LA, instead of going to Nashville, Atlanta, yeah, okay,
0: uh, instead of going to you know one New York, and that's a harder route to do. is Stay in a small, for sure, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's there were very few music industry connections. No one, no one to really mentor us through the process. Um, no one to say that, like, okay, yeah, you, you've done a great job on building this album release, and you're probably going to get some good press from it, and and um, you're going to get good coverage on college radio, which is what you've been aiming for. But you, but ha- well, why haven't you built your tour? Why haven't you built any tours around the date of the release? Well, it's because we put all our freaking time towards the release, like, well, yeah. how are we supposed to also manage? How are we supposed to, you know, but no one even brought that point up, and you though- didn't
0: know, I mean, you. We
1: knew we needed to be touring. You knew, okay. We knew we needed to be touring, but you know, putting all those things together, you know, um, just wasn't happening. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was so much energy going towards the release itself, Um, like a lot of energy. So uh, yeah, one of the key mistakes is not touring enough and not trying to, you know, not booking six to eight months ahead of the tour, you know, on like securing shows and making sure that we're supporting this release with live performances throughout the United States and beyond, you know? Yeah. Big mistake.
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh, was that maybe the apex of the, of the, the band that last release? 2011. Yeah, probably. Did you yeah. do a big tour after? You know, um, once
1: no, never. We never did a big tour. We toured. We played out of town sure. a decent amount, but I wouldn't even say that we did a, a pro- as a full band. We probably didn't even do a single proper tour. Yeah, like we may have done like three dates on the road, like out of town. You know, over a weekend or something, kind of weekend things. But um, I would. I don't think we even ever went on like a two week or one month or two month tour that Mm. that was,
0: that was proper. Do you, do you dream of having a big tour in the future?
1: Uh, no, I've since, I've, I've since done tours um, as a solo artist. Okay. Um, which is there, it's fun. Touring is fun, but it's also like, um, I'm not opposed to it, but it's definitely, it's not part of my dream Mm -hmm. these days. Um, I'll do it if, if, if it's, if it's profitable, if it needs to happen, I'll do it for sure. Sure, And it's really fun. I, I really enjoy meeting people. I really enjoy checking out new cities and meeting new people and building large networks and stuff like that. So it's certainly part of the
0: fun, you know, that's that's fun. So are you doing music now as a solo artist versus with a band?
1: Yeah, I'm doing music as almost more of i I'm, I'm managing a lot of stuff now. Um, but I'm also participating much more as a... Kind of almost as a hobbyist. Uh, and honest, you know, honestly, it's it's barely made me any money, so it's almost like been a serious hobby the whole time. Anyway, um, but uh, I I still co-write a lot of stuff. Um, I still make money in music. I DJ a lot. I throw. I manage events, and um, of course, I manage Soundcore, um, which is my main which is my main gig and what most people in Chattanooga now know me for. Um, Soundcore is a nonprofit organization focused on building Chattanooga's music economy. And so taking, you know, it, it came from a really large community conversation about how Chattanooga could be better for musicians and music industry professionals and what we could, you know, what the community could offer to to really retain a lot of those folks in our community, um, and also help people to advance in their careers. So um I was uh I was hired to start the, the company and we launched in 2015 and um, that's been my full-time gig for quite some time now so my roles in the music industry have certainly evolved quite a bit and my um, my really my projects where, where I'm like leader of, of a band and, and and leader of projects that are solely focused on art and music creation um have gone sort of by the wayside not totally because i'm still really involved with SoCro, who i mentioned earlier and and a couple of other um acts but i'm definitely not producing music nearly as much as i used to
0: mm-hmm. yeah how, how is chattanooga's music scene um where's it trending is it?
1: Well, right now during COVID, it's everything is screwed. I don't know if I can curse on this, but I definitely want to use some more <laughs> some stronger language than screwed. Yeah. You can um, say whatever you want. Yeah, it's, okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I mean the music industry has taken a huge hit since March with all events being canceled. I mean, the way the music industry as a whole and Chattanooga, being a microcosm, um, the way the music industry as a whole has evolved is that it, it, can't, it went. You know, everybody's aware that that you know when everything went digital with uh, in the early days of Napster and whatnot. You know, record sales took huge hits, and record companies went through massive changes. And that is uh, that is true people and record companies and musicians are still trying to figure out the business model uh, of how recorded music makes money um, and whether it makes money. But in a big, in a big way, recorded music. um, So, you know, back in the heyday of making tons of money in the music industry in the um, 70s, 80s, 90s uh, recorded, you know, essentially tours like going on tour was almost like a, marketing tool so that you could sell your album to people physically
0: right at the at the show yep so you can Mm -hmm. sell
1: your album you can sell your merch and whatnot but album sales would go way way up around a tour now you're essentially it's pretty much flipped um you're essentially creating new music to uh act as a marketing tool for your live shows where people are buying tickets to Mm. So you're really cutting the revenue. I mean, the revenue model. It's the other
0: make, way, it's like listen to me for free if you like that. Now come see me live and pay for that.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I mean, sure, s- streaming does streaming does pay um, something, but n- you know when you compare it to the old systems, it's really not even close. Um, so massive changes anyway. But then when you when you kill live events, yeah, when COVID kills live events. Um, Wow. Then all of the revenue streams have been essentially taken away. So it's been tough out there. Um, we're, we've, we've seen a few, um, musicians, um, transition and, and get through, you know, struggle to get through this period of time by, um, really diversifying their income streams you know lon eldridge is, is a prime example he's making bolo ties custom bolo ties those ties that you you know that that like cowboys wear yeah um he's he's got a really cool burgeoning business around that baby mother local rapper who is who has quite a bit uh, of national international stardom she has started the uh the baby, I forgot what it's called, but, um, mother's magic apothecary, which has like a lot of like, um, you know, um, I don't know, beauty products and, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm not coming up with the right words, but, um, lip balms and like lotions and, and, you know, bath bombs and stuff like that. Right. So like we've seen artists like definitely invest a lot of time into, making other forms of income that are part of their brand, that are part of their larger brand, you know?
0: Well, I mean, artists, you're creative by nature. So, I mean, you at least have that. That's right. But it's not your first passion. That's right. So that's And
1: and the last, you know, last week, it was announced that Songbirds Guitar Uh, Museum's closing. I know. Songbirds, uh, their two venues are closing. That is not a good thing for the... That is not a good reflection of how... Um, not just Chattanooga's music economy is going, but really the music economy as a whole. Um, with the Tivoli Foundation um, launching a four million dollar fundraising campaign just to stay alive, like that's bad. That's really bad.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's real sad.
1: It's sad. It sucks. It's it's really bad. So you know, we're t- we're luckily Soundcore is focused. You know. Our focus remains as it has always been on the entrepreneur and on the artists and on the folks that are, that are starting new projects. Everybody's pretty hopeful that this thing is going to, you know, it's a, it's a matter of months, not, uh, not, you know, maybe a year, but not like multiple years that anybody's like planning on having to deal with these difficult times. Um, so a lot of people are still hopeful, but
0: yeah. What's your prediction? What do you think we're get back to normal? in the in the music world or is it going to change just like how digital media you know completely changed
1: yeah i don't know i don't know i i I don't i'm 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 hesitant to put any prediction out there sure i I suspect that we're i suspect you know a lot of people say a lot of people say like this is gonna change how we do things forever um i don't know how you could say that like because i don't know that the you know, that the 1918 pandemic changed how anybody did anything forever, but right. did it? I don't know. I'm, I'm not a scholar in that way. So, um
0: yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah. It's just confusing. Yeah. It's confusing and none of us like it.
1: And p- yeah, people are so resistant to change mm-hmm. that like changing this much forever is just seems impossible. Like people are going to Go, I mean, people are, you know, going back to church and going to church, church, by the way, being a main way, a lot of musicians make money, uh, through church gigs, people are going back to church. People are going to, um, bars and clubs. Like people, people certainly can't resist, um, the, the, the lure of live music. Um, you know, do you do that safely? Do you? put everybody in danger like it's just i think it just remains to be seen it's hard to know
0: yeah man that's sad hmm. well um let's see do you do the flavorless thing yeah you, yeah okay can involved. You, yeah, yeah Yeah. can you tell people about that yeah sure have you been i've been twice okay cool. yeah yeah so it was right down here um in that abandoned build i don't know if it's yeah. abandoned but right here in Southside. right, right yeah, yeah it's great
1: Cool, cool, uh, yeah. Flavorless is a project that was started by Brett Wise and myself um, in uh, 2017, um, and it came on the heels of a number of years of, of you know boy. Um, so I really enjoy. I've always really enjoyed electronic music um, of various kinds. Like I remember my first my first electronic music album that I bought was um, Air Moon Safari. Air, the French band. Um, their album Moon Safari. I remember exactly when I bought it and everything. Um, I was in seventh grade, I believe, and from that, that's when I heard. That's when I really heard. Like when I was really introduced to like what how amazing and how sexy like synths and you know electronic sounds can be and how cool they can be. Um, and so anyway, from that moment on, I've I've always been into. Although I've never. I never delved, delved hard into like raves or like what a lot of people associate with with um, um, you know e d m electronic dance music or anything like that. I was always definitely into a lot of those sounds alongside like my favorite artist is Gillian Welch, so you know acoustic um, harmonies amazing amazing musicians, so you know my my musical tastes span you know the the um, the gamut the gamut yeah exactly. So anyway, but there was at some time at some point back in like 2014, 15, it just became obvious that the only place that we could find to go do the type of dancing that we wanted to do was essentially Allen Gold's, uh, which is a gay bar over in Highland Park area that is really fun and was was really fun, but also really, really, really smoky and would not let any um, any DJ, any non, you know, they have their own DJs and they wouldn't let guest DJs in and you couldn't throw your own parties there. And we were used to, at this point, you know, people like myself, well, yeah, I was used to being able to throw my own parties and produce events and, you know, throw shows at JJ's Bohemia and throw shows at whatever club around town and ensure that um, enough people came out to to pay everybody and I would maybe make a little money, but for sure would like at least have built a party that I like to be at. Right. right. And the music that I want to hear and the, the type of dancing I like to do. So like it was, there wasn't a place to really do that. Um, back then. And so Brett approached, we were, uh, uh, yeah, Brett approached me about potentially doing like a dance party. Um, in st Elmo, at, at what was then plus coffee mm-hmm. shop yeah and we decided to do something small and really exclusive and brett had been djing in like beijing for quite some time and he knew a lot more about um the depths the you know about house music and a lot more about techno and and various genres of electronic music i was much less uh knowledgeable about a lot of that stuff and, and is really- europe
0: a little more um i don't know uh, does it, does it come more out of Europe than America that style?
1: Um, well, not really. I mean, techno, you know, house was born in Chicago and techno was born in Detroit. So those are American, they're American genres. Um, but, um, you certainly, I think you do find, you do find those genres more pervasively being played out at clubs regularly throughout Europe, you know, places like Ibiza, places like Berlin, um, you know, nightclubs are, are very different um, and more pervasive in, in Europe. And cities are so much closer in Europe than they are here in the U.S. So I would say the vast majority of Europeans are more familiar with the genres than the vast majority of, of folks in the U.S., if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, we, we yeah, we started out, and um, Brett had heard a a really interesting quote that used, uh, that I don't remember the quote, but it basically compared, uh, it basically was talking trash about quote unquote hipsters and it called them, um, a bunch of flavorless, something, something, something hipsters. And, and, uh, we kind of, we kind of were attracted to the, to the word flavorless and decided to go with it and thought it was ironic and funny that it was at a coffee shop. um, It's very funny. i
0: have a big smile on my face. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, that's where it started, and people enjoyed it. We had we threw a few, you know, and then we started moving around from Plus Coffee to other spaces, and it kind of grew and grew, and it grew into a monthly event. Um, and uh, you know, but I think in 2018, uh, I don't remember. Maybe 2019, 2018, I think maybe was the first year that we did Flavorless every single month. Mm-hmm. 2019, we did a little bit more than that, um, and not, and then you know, uh, COVID has totally. But luckily, you know, we were, the, the, the party has grown and we were, you know, seriously considering like we were really looking for like more permanent space, um, being encouraged by the powers that be, uh, that we need to not be, um, you know, throwing parties at unapproved Mm. warehouses and whatnot.
0: Fire marshal stuff.
1: Yeah. Fire marshal stuff. Yep. Uh huh. um, so we were really actively like looking for space and then COVID hit and it's like wow i'm Good glad deal. we did not jump into a lease yeah because all it is is a is a you know uh a, a, a music event that features music that we like primarily house techno um pr- progressive dance music dance music that's on the underground that's at the forefront of, of what's going on um and uh, it requires a lot of people to be together dancing and having fun. And, uh, that There's, ain't happening.
0: No, that's, that's the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing right now.
1: Yeah. It's going to be like the last thing that comes back.
0: It That is a good way of saying it. That is going to be the last thing that comes back. Yeah, man. Well, I, you know, I went twice. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. And awesome. I, and in full disclosure, I'm not, I'm, I'm not much of a music guy. I don't know much about it. I didn't grow up with much music. Um, so I, uh, I don't know if that's a compliment or, not, or compliment or not, but I don't listen to music much. But when I do, I like to, I like to be involved with something like that. That's uh, I had a great time both times awesome. I was there. I'm so. glad
1: you had fun. It's yeah, it, you know, not everybody enjoys it, and that's okay because yeah. it's very we're very particular about what uh, we invite who we invite to be on stage and what type of music that we. Um, get behind and and help promote.
0: Well, I like that that you you only put on what you believe, and you're getting some pushback and um, some rules, such as you have to use our DJs and all that kind of stuff. And I it makes me smile. I like it when when people they're a little stubborn, and they that's where the good stuff comes from. If you like, no, I know it's going to be better this way. This is I'm gonna even though it's harder, it's way easier just to like okay, we'll use this venue. But you know when yep. you really like you really believe in it yeah you know so that's cool
1: yep absolutely i like that yep so we still i mean we're you know we're keeping the dream alive and the hope alive but uh you know like brett and i are, are going on like a, a bicycle ride tomorrow yeah <laughs> which is not plan which is not what we normally would be doing which is planning our next event yeah we are going on a bicycle ride and getting some exercise in it
0: do you have any oh man i want um do you have any super strange unique crazy potential ideas for something in the meanwhile you know
1: uh there's a there's a few ideas kind of brewing but um but nothing very serious you know our our, a lot of a lot of our energy has has uh got transitioned to to various other things that are happening in the world like you know the black lives matter movement Mm -hmm. um helping some of our friends out there and and um you know, Brett is is really um, he's a programmer, and so he's been helping various people with career transitions um, and getting skills through you know through that skill set, and and we've been you know not necessarily together, but working on our own music projects. You know, so we're still putting our energy into a lot of stuff um and not putting very much energy into trying to create an event where a bunch of people come and yeah. and dance and stuff. Yeah. Um, cuz that's what we I mean, we want to throw warehouse parties. And so like you know, alternatives like you know, we could think of alternatives but uh, that's not that exciting. I th- uh, I'm involved with events all, of all kinds all the time. And so, like, more events is not necessarily something I'm trying to take on, you
0: know? Yeah, that was, it sounds like that was, like, the pet project, like, the yeah. one that you really... Yeah,
1: that's definitely, like, a, a project of love. Passion part. Yeah, the yeah. passion
0: one. Yeah. Yep. Where are you guys going on your bike ride?
1: Uh, we're going to do something short. I got, like, I've gotten fat during COVID. Um, I haven't done as much, like, movement as I need to do. And, um, uh, so getting back on the, on the street, on the, you know, road bicycle is, is long overdue and, um, we're going to do a short one, but it's going to be a, uh, a slog because we got a big hill right in the middle of it. And, um, we're going to go from sort of around my, my place, which is at the base of signal mountain. And we're going to just going to do the moccasin bin run, Mm -hmm. um, pretty, pretty common bicycle route. Next to the poo plant, you know, yep. um, get some sprints in. But we, between my place and Marcus and Bend is that uh, Pineville Road hill. Yep. Uh, so we're gonna, I'm going to have to do that twice tomorrow night, uh, which I'm not looking forward to. Would you call yourself a cyclist? Uh, I was. I was for sure at one point. I mean, I, you know, after swimming so hardcore, yeah. I did. Uh, I got into triathlons. Oh, you know, a little bit. And Fantastic. I'm, I hate running, I'm not into running, but I, I do really enjoy cycling. Um, and I used to be really good at swimming, whether I enjoyed it or not. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so cycling is the kind of the one that stuck since my hair is now past my waist. Right. Uh, swimming's not, not really a thing. But they um, don't make
0: the swim cap for you. Well, apparently, they do.
1: I just found out that uh, <laughs> do they, it's gotta be a huge dry bag. It's yeah, basically. I haven't actually, but Christian, uh, a lot of folks know Christian, the bass player from Alele Roots and a number of other bands here in town, was just. Uh, talking on the internet on Facebook about how he started swimming, and I'm like, "How are you swim with all this, all these dreadlocks on your head?" He's like, "I ordered a swim cap from Australia. They make it for people with dreadlocks." I was like, "Dude, I got to check that out." That's so awesome. Haven't checked it out yet. Literally, that was like the last two days. I'm kind of wanting to go swimming. Yeah, so like get a, get a little bit more. I need to get back. I need to like lose some of this weight. I've just been like not moving. I've just been at my you know desk at my at my home. So. um so yeah, that's tomorrow's ride, short ride. What triathlons have you done? Oh man, I've done well, th- actually the the more interesting thing. So triathlons not that many. I did one in um I don't even remember. These were these were years ago. I've done a couple in Georgia. One was like I think the Sunbelt triathlon, which is in like somewhere. I can't remember. Um I knew I know I did one in Tennessee. I don't remember what it was. Mm-hmm. I don't remember, but I, one of the f- more interesting things I did with my buddy Leif Ramsey and another friend Stephen Tilstra was the Seattle to Portland STP ride, which is 200 miles in two days from Seattle to Portland. Yeah, and um, that was really really fun. I don't remember what year that was, but that's you know you you get on your bike and you ride 100 miles and you sleep. Um, outdoors and then you get on your bike and ride another hundred miles
0: Do you take your gear is it self-sufficient no they there...
1: take they they bring you get to have a sleeping bag and like a bag or something like yeah. that that they bring in a trailer to the sleepover point but we were going fast man like we were um i was not the leader very much i was drafting more because those guys are much stronger cyclists than i was but we held uh a, a, over 19 miles per hour for doing for 100 miles
0: well, yeah, I guess for two days. two days, yeah, a nineteen days, that is hauling. It was good, yeah. That is that's a cyclist, yeah. You, they're definitely. I'm not there now, yeah, uh, but you, you did,
1: know, but yeah, I did, yeah. Wow, So I enjoy cycling.
0: Yeah. Um, so they call that a, a century when you do 100 miles in one go. Was uh, that your first century?
1: Well, for uh, yeah, it wasn't a competition, but yeah, as far as like some organized thing, I had done over 100 miles just like oh yeah, on just rides by yourself, and yeah. training and stuff, right, yeah. right
0: oh that's cool um man we should ride together i, I like to yeah I like come, to you can come too. along tomorrow i yeah. mean if you're in shape you're gonna be killing uh, us we I'm are not little, in shape i'm a little chubby right now i just got back from fishing in alaska so Sweet. yeah yeah that's my main gig i'm a glorified semi-truck driver awesome So i just drive for two months I, I i was stuck in a boat it was 32 foot long boat and and i didn't touch land or anybody for 35 days just so i gained about 10 pounds yep but uh yep. it's time to get back
1: i know it's so hot right now but whatever that's that's just a good do
0: it that's a good ride do you ever go up one of my favorite rides in chattanooga you go up main street yeah and so that's i call it the roller coaster route so main street you know up oh, Missionary Ridge? It, yep, to yeah. Missionary Ridge, and that's just straight. And, yeah. And so that's like the clink, clink, clink. Ugh. Then you get on the ridge, and that's like the roller coaster part, yeah. you know, and you swing down, and then you hook up to uh, the Third. river trail. Oh, you hook I up past th- I go past Glass Street, and and then you hook up to uh, huh. the South Chick Greenway. Oh, uh, yeah. And then the last, like, seven, eight miles is, is uh, the river trail all the way back downtown. Never done that. It's, that sounds like really fun. It's like a little after work. It's 20 miles. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um. That sounds really fun. I, you, my, I used to always just try to get out of town when I was starting biker rides downtown. Yeah, if it wasn't a Moccasin Bend loop, then I was pretty much always doing like down through Saint Almo, a lookout. The, yep, or or up um, through North Chattanooga. T- to Browntown road and up to Saudi, you know and sometimes up signal mountain and up over but i had never done that much just like kind of staying in town routes which that sounds pretty like a.
0: Cool it's route. a good town it's a good uh i don't know i like taking my friends on and it's good for sunset too because you're looking west and you see the sunset over the yeah. river and uh the island the yeah Mellon island looks really cool with the sun you hit it the right time there's like sun glare on both sides you see yeah. the perfect shape of the football shaped island it's I love that. Road. Nice. Yeah. That sounds like a good one. Yeah, and it's just you. You do all the work on the up front. It's like as long yeah. as you make the top Missionary Ridge, you get like all the misery over. Yeah. That have you? That road is steep.
1: I've I've driven up it. I've never ridden up it. That but that is, seems like a pain.
0: Yeah, it is. <laughs> have you ever rode in, um, Squaw Valley? Yeah, Squaw Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, I love that that area. It's I
1: great. ride motorcycles, and um, that's pretty much my. I, well, I that's live just on the other side of Suck Creek. You know. Right. I live really close to signal mountain and and that Suck creek road and Sut creek road is like definitely pretty much my go-to like i have a um 2004 bmw eleven fifty r 1150r oh, rockster
0: super nice
1: yeah and um that's my go-to like i don't drag knee but like yeah. for sure those are the fun those are the fun curves and so Sequatchie valley is my go-to like motorcycle riding spot
0: yeah and Absolutely. there's a lot of there's a lot of different hills to climb up you know back up on the plateau and dip back down yep yeah that do you ever do river canyon uh i've not done that much river canyon it's pretty bumpy yeah it's not
1: that's off you took a left
0: from suck, suck creek, creek. Yeah, yeah you just follow the river it's
1: yeah i've never done that um well, on bicycle or motorcycle just gone with on a car to uh you know i don't know get to some t-wall climbing or something i don't climb but like yeah my friends are climbers and you're you
0: don't climb and you live in chattanooga
1: i know i (laughs) guitar playing too important for me yeah that's my main instrument so climbers i see their wrecked hands and their wrecked fingers i'm like i don't think i can play guitar like that yeah Uh, screw that
0: (laughs) yeah yeah that's true i got a guitar sitting right here yeah do do you wanna do you wanna play a little oh man a little thing right now for the podcast for the podcast do you want to No pressure, Um, zero pressure at all.
1: I I could try. We'd have to like use both mics or something.
0: Yeah, we could do that.
1: I wish I had my computer with me. I'm trying to think of what I'm going
0: to play because I got some tabs. Yeah, I'll play. You try it? Yeah. Okay, we're going to set this up. Okay, I'm excited. Here we go. Okay, you're going to have to introduce yourself because I don't have my mic over here.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm Stratton Tingle. This is an Elliott Smith song called Angel Eyes or Angelus. I'm not actually sure how he pronounces the title, but whatever.
2: Coming around here trailing some new kill. Says I saw your picture on a hundred dollar bill. What's a game of chance to you to him is one of real skill and I'm so glad to meet you, Angela. up the ticket shows there's money to be made. Go on, lose the gamble that's the history of the trade. To add up all the cards left to play to zero, I'm so glad to meet in July. Don't start me trying, yeah Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh i I'm all over it, Angela I can make you satisfied In everything you do And all your secret wishes could right Now becoming true Be forever With my poison arms Around you And no one's gonna fuck around with us And no one's gonna fuck around with us i so glad to meet you And
1: It's been a long time, thank you.
0: Oh no, thank you. That was awesome. It was a treat.
1: Yeah, nerve-wracking. Was it a little nervous? Oh yeah, getting being recorded on doing a song that hasn't. That, I played that song probably once in the last three months. Yeah, and it's kind of, kind of a tough one. But you know, muscle memory. It's
0: it's all good. You can play them down the guitar you can blame it on the guitar oh That's, yeah that, it is old, the guitar's fault yeah my, yeah. No, no, this it, is nice man I like this guitar it plays really easily too yeah I wish I could play it as well as half as good as what you just did that was fantastic <sighs> thank you yeah well thanks for um, coming on the show absolutely I, that was a my treat pleasure. I've never had live music here this is oh, great oh
1: man you gotta do it I, you had C Grammy on why didn't you make did, him do some stuff I don't
0: know I didn't think of it he, that'd he's a, great he's a rapper he's yeah. a musician yeah <laughs> next time well thanks for coming on the show I really appreciate it thanks hope for you having had as me. much fun as I did
1: oh yeah this was a blast I did too much talking I think I feel like I need to ask you some questions no
0: no it's, <laughs> it's not about me it's about, it's about the people of Chattanooga and you're one of them so this is great sweet thanks okay. for coming on yeah thanks for having me alright see ya peace bye and there you have it That Stratton Tingle everybody I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I did. Stratton's a man. Keep an eye out for that unicorn of a Volkswagen, the lifted Jetta. It's around town. You'll see it. If you like the podcast, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. That helps immensely. Um, Leave a comment if you want to. That's even better. Or do both. Um, You can check us out on Instagram and just tell your friends. That's how uh, we can grow this thing. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye.